0: Hi there. Uh, back in the what, mid-2000s, I took a trip to an organisation which was uh, operated in the name of 18 Doughty Street. Have you heard of it? Maybe, maybe you remember it fondly. I certainly do. In a sense, it was a forerunner of an organisation like GB News. It was a, a thought-provoking, iconoclastic news channel, TV news channel, way ahead of the game. And one of the people who was there right at the beginning, one of its founding fathers, has also played a hand in the creation of other important institutions in the conservative intellectual life of this country. Unheard, the website, Center for Social Justice, and others as well. He is Tim Montgomery, who joins me now. Tim, welcome to you and thanks for coming here. We appreciate it. lovely to be with you. Uh, (laughs) We are recording this interview on the day that we learned that uh, uh, Roe v. Wade may well have been challenged by the Supreme Court in a as yet unpublished ruling. I often find myself saying to people, America's 4,000, miles away. It's not our country. You don't get to have a vote in it. But it will clearly be the case that people in this country will look to what's happened, if it's happened in the Supreme Court, and draw lessons one way or t'other. other. How important is it?
1: Well, uh, I think America is in many ways an increasingly dysfunctional society. It's not the America I fell in love with when, during my upbringing. But on some occasions, and this will be a controversial view, I know, for many people, but on some occasions, I still do find it the last best hope. And um, I think you and I may agree too much on this, uh, Colin, and we're men and some people think we shouldn't even be discussing (laughs) it. But I actually feel a sense of real sadness and shame that there is a level of abortion in Britain at the moment that isn't even a matter of public discussion almost at all. Uh, you can support abortion, you can oppose it, but it's almost there's a silence. Yeah. And I think that's very worrying because there are a lot of late-term abortions. There's abortion where of handicapped, you know, fetus with abnormalities that actually mean that disabled people must have a second-class status. Yeah. Almost In the- up to full term. <laughs> yeah. And we've just had these abortion pills, uh... Which were just supposed so, I, to be a I temporary to, measure. I, I just want to
0: amplify the abortion <laughs> pills, just because they absolutely exemplify what you're saying. I mean, it went through on the nod.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, this idea that what was a temporary COVID measure, because uh, people couldn't go into clinics to have abortions, were now being sent in the post two yeah. pills. What did that do? It did away with any clinical oversight. Yeah. So it's one thing to be told you mustn't take these two pills after 10 weeks of pregnancy. Actually, what's happening? Mm-hmm. Of course, desperate women are taking the pills. Of Much, much later, and it's leading to lots of... And not getting the medical care care that you
1: you ideally would get with a proper
0: consultation. Ten million, nearly ten million abortions in the UK since 1968, the year of my birth. And at the time when that abortion act was brought in, it was for exceptional circumstances. Mission creep, the worst kind. Absolutely, yeah. But what to do about
1: it in this country? Yeah, well, we we don't talk about it. It, And one good thing, I won't keep praising GB News, but I saw an interview with a a pro-life counsellor putting a different view and she was treated you know she was asked tough questions but she had I haven't seen that on the view I can't remember that voice being on the BBC or ITV at all but, but back to the you know the fundamental point America is dysfunctional said, so, so, but on abortion they have refused to just say it is just another medical procedure because it isn't and I think in our hearts, we all know it isn't. We we mourn with a mum who loses a child through miscarriage. And in exactly the same time in the hospital, someone might be aborting the baby and we have a completely different attitude. That's just, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. No, it's that, cogn- we, that cognitive yeah, dissonance. It's a required. lie. It's a fundamental lie. And America is at least grappling with it. And we're not. And... Um, I know from my experiences already on, and I'm very sorry, I should say to those of you watching this podcast, I've been up all night and I'm probably shouldn't be doing TV or anything. <laughs> um, I, um, I know on Twitter already, you know, people, I knew, and as soon as I tweeted on the I knew I'd be a tap, et cetera. People who are pro-abortion, uh, anti abortion they're not going to change their mind. But my hope, my prayer is just when abortion is actually discussed, when a few people might see pictures of what actually an advanced unborn baby looks like. When the, maybe we'll explore a little bit about the pain that actually the abortion procedure causes the unborn child. I just hope there'll be a few more reasonable, open-minded people out there, even if we're not gonna change our law, who will just have some second thoughts about actually what this huge thing they're doing actually amounts to. Mm. And America, you know, we, we saw the Black Lives Matter thing, etc. When something happens in America, the rest of the world discusses it. And on this occasion, uh, I'm grateful for that yeah and I, I, I'm grateful too. I, I went to mass this morning
0: and I thought about this and and i'm not I'm not Jacob Rees-mog on this. I think there are circumstances where I think abortion has to be allowed, and that puts me at odds with Catholic teaching, mm-hmm. um, cases of rape, for instance. Mm. Um, but I think if people looked hard at what a baby unborn child can look like at 23 weeks and consider that it's still legal in this country to abort at 24 weeks, yeah. then that conversation needs to be had. I'm glad you see that we're having it here. And I, th- I think also it reflects a, a sense of um, defeat, fatalism about how it's covered on other news outlets. I think the days when actually it was a two-sided argument, we'll get pro and anti in to talk about it at Sky and the BBC, I may be wrong, I don't think I am, are gone. For them, it's now settled science. Yeah. If you, if you oppose abortion, you are, you are beyond the pale. You're a loony. You're one of those redneck crazies, uh, shouting at people outside abortion clinics in Mississippi. The idea of there being a reasonable objection to mm. abortion seems to be one that many of its critics no longer countenance. Okay. We've both done a lot on that. So we'll, we'll park that for now, <laughs> shall we? <laughs> um, but,
1: but one, th- one, just if I have final thought, and I really could talk about this for a long time. You know, One thing that has been, you know, I think we both describe ourselves as pro-life. Yeah. And a lot of people have sort of challenged me already on Twitter, said, you're just not interested, though. Once people are born, you lose interest. And that's that's a good challenge, actually, because a true pro-life culture will be interested in the welfare of people throughout all of their life. And that's what... uh, you know, those of us who are perhaps build as right wing on mm. this issue, we need to remember that as well. There's a lot we have to learn from the left on the prioritisation of the poverty issue alongside the pro-life issue. And it's getting the balance right that I think is the trip. Yeah, I'm not going to turn this into a, a, a Catholic... Um... Uh, party broadcast, but... I'm not yeah, a Catholic. No, I no, <laughs> <you> know. Isn't <laughs> yes. that the point of, yeah. there,
0: there is a coherence to Catholic teaching on the on, there on really right to is, life yeah. issues, yeah. which is that, you know, lots of people on my side of the argument might be uncom- you know, might quite like the, the idea of capital punishment, but actually that's the, the from, from cradle to grave as a Catholic, you, you, you oppose the, the idea of somebody taking a life, whether that's the unborn life, whether that's somebody at the end of their life, or whether somebody's done something dreadful and lots of people feel their life ought to be taken away from them. Yeah. Yeah. there is a coherence to that. That's not our job to take away somebody's life unless it's you know in a circumstance of, of a just war or whatever yeah. it is. Um, and killing somebody because they've committed an act of murder is not reasonable. It's not a reasonable act in the eyes of of, the, of of my faith.
1: I agree. Again, we're agreeing too much. Well, let's them. try and
0: let's try and find something <laughs> to disagree about. Um, uh, you you co-founded the Centre for Social Justice. Mm. Um, it, it's one of those organisations which I think has fed into policy making in a way that few think tanks few think tanks like to think they're affecting policy, but actually in reality few do. But the Centre for Social Justice and Ian Duncan Smith in particular did do. What's its gr- its greatest legacy? Do you think?
1: Um, it has to be universal credit. Um, universal credit. Ian is Ian is a friend. He's one of the most remarkable people I've ever met. He infuriates me to death, you know. And if he meets a nuclear physicist, he will talk to that nuclear physicist about what he knows about nuclear <laughs> physics. You know, he's he's you know, he he has his faults, but he has extraordinary tenacity. If he sets himself a you know a a goal he will just stick at it and universal credit you know the treasury didn't believe that it could be done they said you know we have a bad record of it projects etc etc so this great ambition that politicians of all and parties of all colors have signed up for a long time that we should have a benefit system that always makes work pay was just it was all too difficult and we weren't going to do it Ian said well maybe it is difficult and maybe it will be tricky but you've got to do it. And he had his critics, lots of problems occurred with it, it was delayed. But now, and you don't have to take my word, Torsten Bell of the Resolution Foundation, who was advisor to Ed Miliband, no Tory he, said to me recently that Britain now has probably the most advanced integrated digital benefit system in Europe. And for those who doubt, you know, the ability of the British state to do things, we did this. And you can't do too many big projects in a government or a, because it takes up too much time. But Ian, because he knew it was a cause that was worth persisting with and didn't mind too much, the naysayers in the press who scoffed at the problems and emphasized, has achieved something that should be better funded. We, it's not a perfect system yet because the Treasury denied it cash. But at the moment, and it wasn't true in the past, work does pay. And people aren't sent from pillar to post between different benefits. It's a huge achievement. It, and and just Ian on, achieved it.
0: Just on Ian's achievement, yeah. I mean, I, and at the risk of turning this back into a sort of slightly God-bothering subject, uh, I ju- it strikes me he's either got the, 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 the hide of a rhino or he's got a sense of profound vocation because this is somebody, I think he was, what was it, the shortest lived conservative leader in political history. Now, at some point, lots lots of politicians that that happens to put their bat under their arm and head for the pavilion and say, do you know what, I'll just go work in the city or Mm -hmm. cultivate flowers or whatever, because politics ain't for me. He didn't he stuck with it and and then brought about something of sub, 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 yeah. substance that has a dramatic no not a dramatic yes a dramatic impact on the lives of millions of our poorest people
1: yeah well you know, a, a, a general problem in politics at the moment is when people have stopped being ministers through their own choice or because they've been sat they leave parliament they're in government to be ministers not uh, You know, not necessarily for as a wider vocation. There are exceptions. I'm glad Theresa May, for example, is still there. But when Ian lost the leadership, it was publicly humiliating. You know, those younger viewers and listeners won't remember it. But he was absolutely ridiculed. And I I spent a year with him after speaking to him for an hour a day. And a lot of it was horrible. Absolutely horrible. But he has the around you're right. And um he made promises on his what was called the Help the Vulnerable Tour to, you know, poorer Britons when he was leader. And we had dinner the night he lost the leadership. I was his chief of staff for two months. I, <laughs> uh, he always blamed me for bringing him down. He said it was going quite well until I, right? But <laughs> he had dinner the night he was taken down. He said, we're going to stick at this, you know. We're going we're gonna to keep at it. And uh, he has. And... Uh, I like the idea that compared to the Blair years, when Tories and New Labour were competing for the vote for middle-class voters in the South, the main debate now in Britain is between lower-income constituencies in more Northern. That, I think, is an upgrade in British politics. I think there's still lack of concern for the people really at the bottom, the very poor. There's not many votes in that, or there's thought to be. But Ian uh, Michael Crick, actually, who, is, who uh, came down to Salisbury last week for a dinner, was telling me if a biography is written about Ian and it should be written. If it was written after this leadership, he said, I don't think I'd have many good things to say about Ian. But he said, as someone who's criticised his post-leadership role, is of huge public credit. See a life in the round. Yeah. See a life in the
0: round. Well he's finished the Nigel Farage biography so maybe he's got some time in his hands we can do that. Yeah. Um, yesterday I was talking about Tony Blair and you would have spent a lot of time thinking about the Blair project and how to tackle it and what it meant and whether it you know um uh, 25 years since he came to power he's just popped up in a in a Labour uh, local election advertisement commercials. Yeah, Jeremy and- Corbyn
1: will be furious. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: I mean, I, I found myself saying on on the telly yesterday that I, and I think that you know some of our more, some of our viewers would have been appalled at what I was saying, which was that I'm really conflicted about Blair. There was, I I, I spent the 2001 election on his battle bus, following him around, and power really suited him, and he was. There was a, there was a, it was slightly mesmeric on lots of levels. But then I'm also a little bit with Hitchens, Peter Hitchens, who says, if you, you know, judge the man by his works, and if from the Equality Act to the accession, you know, allowing in so many uh, accession countries yeah. without the transitional period, which then arguably led all the way through to, to Brexit, and even things like the expansion of higher education. Yeah. So it, yeah. it, it was a speed of change. It was, it was a deeply unconservative approach, actually, for all he seemed to be quite. Conservative Tony Blair as, as a Labour leader. But actually, those three things I find have left a mark on Britain which is not easily changed. You may feel some of them were good things. Uh, Tony Blair. No,
1: I'm agreeing with you again, unfortunately. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I mean, talk to me about his legacy. Are you conflicted or was he just. Would you
1: rather have he, he'd never been there? Well, yeah, I'm I'm an I'm a absolute um, committed Conservative. Um, uh, although um, my. <laughs> I'm not, not not the greatest fan of Boris Johnson at the moment, so some people might think that's not true. But uh while I am an opponent of um Labour, um you know it has to be acknowledged that Tories no party can stay in power forever. Our political parties are our partners as as well as competitors, etc. And we're not just you know fellow, we're neighbours, we're citizens. It matters that when the alternative is elected, it's not a disaster. It doesn't just completely reverse what the party's done and you know, a little bit how America is getting. If Jeremy Corbyn had become leader of this country, I would have been ashamed. It was, he was beyond the pale. And so I don't want Keir Starmer to win the next election, but actually I won't, I don't fear him. I don't fear the consequence of that for our country in the way I did uh, when Jeremy Corbyn was there. And Blair had his faults and some of his mistakes were very serious, but actually he, he wasn't he was in the mainstream of a lot what he did was large in tune with what the British people were thinking and wanting. His his weaknesses were our weaknesses in in some sense. And back you know, back to our conversation about Ian's sort of post leadership life. There are some people like Alastair Campbell who do nothing but attack the Blair, to his credit, and he annoyed me enormously about uh, Brexit. But during the yeah. pandemic, he had lots of constructive yep. suggestions. And um, I my respect for him has grown a little bit over the years. And we do have this huge club of people who've left... Government, <laughs> really, yeah. Uh, David Cameron. I'm sure all these people now have wisdom. They know they've been around the block once or twice. Uh, we, uh, well, I'm being a romantic. But no, uh, no, no. I, I, I think you're being constructive. I, I and, wish I, we yeah. could use this experience and knowledge in a slightly more respectful way. Well, one way you.
0: one way they impart their wisdom is through uh, you mentioned Michael Crick and yeah. whether he should write a biography of Ian Duncan Smith. Um, I'm thinking about David Cameron's autobiography and I'm thinking about uh, uh, Tony Blair's autobiography, and they told, I thought, very interesting stories about the individuals concerned. And by the way, I was, I, I was appalled by some of the stuff that Blair was saying about Brexit. He should have kept his snout out. I say that as a, as a Brexiteer. <laughs> um, but if you look at Blair's, I would say, brilliant. he was a huge ally to the Brexit cause, Colin. Well, he was. He was. He uh, was with the donors. And, uh, but you know, I look at the Blair autobiography, which is. A, a brilliant literary work, actually, and an amazing manual on governance. Um, and what Blair doesn't do is, ta- is patronize the reader. And if you pick up Cameron's autobiography, uh, he absolutely does patronize the reader. And he pitches it completely wrongly. He pitches, you know, and this is his legacy stuff. This is, this is, appear inside my brain. Uh, except he's not. He's sort of giving a version. Mm. Um, a- and it was, it was duplicitous. And it was patronising, and Blair didn't do it. Mm. That, you know, I, I don't know if you've read either, read either of them, but I mean, it, I, I thought it was very mm-hmm. damning of, of Cameron to write this sort of Daily Mail autobiography, when actually he's not got
1: a Daily Mail brain.
0: You know, he's, he's, he's a He's a, smart, a
1: first-class brain, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, a question for you. I know I'm supposed to be... Well, it's a conversation, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think you could make an argument that... Um, We've not just had various changes of Prime Minister since Thatcher, but actually each one of them has been worse than the previous one. From Thatcher to Major to Blair to Cameron to May to Boris, uh, I think something is going wrong in our political culture. I think it's partly because of the new Labour thing of putting communication so central to... How they operate. And I think there was still enough of a, um, and Blair actually, I do think he does believe in stuff. Um, and the combination of his beliefs and that Alastair Campbell communication culture was just about enough to hold things together. But you know what I'm desperate for now is a leader who says to the country, this, and we all know it, is what needs to be done. These are the tough choices. Okay, These I'm, are the let, things going we need not let me follow give, you. Let me give you and, one name. Let me give okay. you one name. Tom Tugendhart. I'm a big fan. He's another Catholic, though. You know, we'll uh, be accused. <laughs> <laughs> Tom is a friend, and I, I admire him a great deal. I'd love him to sit at the top table of, of government. Uh, it's not his fault, but I. I think we underestimate the importance of having people who've been in governments and departments, etc. So and he hasn't run anything. He hasn't run. We had, that, it, 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 we had big it, jobs it, in the military.
0: He had big jobs in the army. Yeah,
1: but you know, it used to be the case that you know it took a long time for someone to bec- from becoming an MP to actually join the cabinet. Now it happens incredibly quickly because it's about whether they're good on TV. That and that loss of. Uh, patience, that loss of experience is partly why government's deteriorating and um, so yeah i love Tom to be uh, involved in government but I just want a grown-up in charge now. I want someone who like Mrs Thatcher would examine ministers, would be involved in the detail, who when they got into government that wasn't their life's ambition achieved to be in power, that was the means to achieving what they wanted to do. And um, we need someone who really will be a truth teller to this country at the moment about some of the profound problems the West uh, faces. And uh, Tom would definitely be that kind of person but they need to have the experience and machine uh, as well. I'm, I'm, I'm not, not sure, not I sure could, who that person well, is. By well, the I think way. I still think yeah. I
0: still think it's him, yeah. and, and I think he could step up. I think he's I think he's got the bandwidth to to, yeah. to step up. Uh, we've got about 28 minutes into this. We've got on ever so well, so now we're going to fall out. Okay, okay, <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to fall out about Boris because right. I'm I think on balance he's on the side of the angels, but I'm fully aware of his many many deep flaws. Yeah, um, uh, you you talk about this gen this this. this So degenerative process, and I look at Theresa May, and she had as much, you know, she was probably staying up till two in the morning reading her briefs, like like Baroness Thatcher was. It didn't make her a more visionary leader. Mm. I think uh, I think Boris does have a vision. Uh, I, I like many people, I find it very difficult to look at him objectively because i 'm so grateful for his interventions on brexit yeah uh and his boldness in winning the majority that that he did and reaching parts of the constituency the conservatives have, have failed hitherto to get to so i, I, I th- there is a sense of gratitude and that 's not a reason to keep somebody and I accept that but it's mm. i 'm finding it quite hard to overcome mm. and as a journalist i like his Lyrical flair. His flights of fancy, yeah. uh, I, I, you know, uh, in the same way, I actually quite enjoy. It. And I,
1: I, I his box I, office, his box yep. office,
0: is the way that Trump mm-hmm. is, yeah. uh, you know. And watching the Trump interview with with uh, Piers Morgan last week reminded me of what I'd missed. I miss Trump. He makes me titter.
1: That's because you're a racist misogynist, clearly, <laughs> uh, Colin. <laughs> That'll be it. That'll be it. Yeah.
0: So tell me why I'm wrong about Boris.
1: Well. Um, I, I, I personally, I need to confess something, and it's easy to do in a long-form interview, like which I love. I really love the po- uh, podcast. Um, is I worry sometimes I might be bitter and twisted over, over Boris, and don't want to look bitter and twisted, even if I am. But I invested a lot in Boris over the years. You know, we used to meet weekly and all the rest. I did believe in him, and um, I would absolutely accept. That probably without Boris, Brexit might well have been lost, and we might not have had the emphatic election victory. He I, he did achieve some significant things. But if Mrs. Thatcher, and I know she's not perfect, but if Mrs. Thatcher had got a majority of 80, they don't come along very often. She would have that would when her work begun. Not getting into power, yeah. not uh, COVID, oh, COVID, COVID, COVID. <laughs> In the World War Two, they put the Beverage Report together. You can do two things at the same time. Lots of government wasn't involved in COVID. This country has some fundamental problems. Young people, you've got a good number of children Colin. Young people um, can't afford to get a house. Um, lots of people uh, are in that position. Um, we have an education system you alluded to earlier that looks after the middle class, university type, and does nothing serious about um, skills. Yeah. Um, we have lots of, th- tax is an incredibly complicated system. We don't recognise the family at all in caring, when actually the fundamental reason why the cost of government going up year after is because of the weakness of social structure, et cetera. There's plenty to be done. I don't know when the Tories will next have a majority of 80. I do absolutely know this government isn't serious about any of the problems I just mentioned. And that's partly because Boris uh, just doesn't have the attention span. uh, Downing Street is dysfunctional. Um, He's put pygmies largely in the cabinet. He hasn't put the best talents in there because he's more interested about keeping rivals under control. And so I'm hugely disappointed. By him, I'm afraid. And um, actually, unlike Trump, Trump let Mitch McConnell do some incredibly important. Mitch McConnell's my favourite conservative politician in the world, yeah. by the way. <laughs> he makes things happen. We wouldn't have had the Roe v. Wade thing without him. He you no. Know, uh, Boris, Trump did some stuff. Uh, you know, even Brexit. Brexit's not being pursued properly. It was got over the line, mm-hmm. but we aren't taking mm-hmm. advantage of the of the freedom. So um, I am very gloomy about him, and um, I want, uh, I, uh, I want to unpack this there's, there's, there's a there's a lot there, and I want yeah. you to unpack
0: in a moment. You know uh, what the program should be on tax, and what the program, a uh, more socially conservative program on family support, should should look like. Yeah. But just on on what's happening inside uh, Downing Street at the moment, and mm-hmm. some of the what you view, and we were talking about this before we started the cameras rolling, was it, it, it is a determination. Uh, to almost pursue a scorched earth policy was the phrase you used to Mm. me. i Am allowed to repeat that
1: on camera? Mm. Tell me what you mean by it. Well, look, um, anticipating what you'll say, Colin, uh, of course, every um, leader doesn't want to lose office and they will fight hard to keep their position. It's just a question of how hard you fight. Um, Ultimately, if the party has decided it's time for you to go, do you go willingly or do you try and take down you know, the House uh, with you. And, you know, with Rishi Sunak, the briefing against him recently, Number 10 didn't really hide the fact, they would, of course, officially deny it, but they they didn't really hide the fact that their fingerprints were all over taking down the main alternative. Because they want to know... You could resign. That's besides the point, though. The key thing is, the Prime Minister took down his Chancellor because he wanted to send out the message anyone who is cocky enough to take on me I'll take you out. You know, Jacob Rees-Mogg described the leader of the Scottish Conservative Party as a lightweight because he'd had the audacity to criticise the Prime Minister at a time when the Union is in danger and Douglas Ross's job really matters. Uh, Various things I've seen and heard I I am concerned that at the heart of the Conservative Department, at the heart of the British government, is a group of people more interested in the, in the preservation of their own status and power than the country, and. Um, I think that is poisonous. Okay, let, let me give some rival interpretation. Yeah, pl- please do. Because r- <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, okay. I, I would like to be hopeful about my party. Well, government. On, on, you, and, we were talking know. about Blair, the, yeah. the, the
0: the long history of Number Ten, Number Eleven rivalry of uh, the most toxic nature. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think for a lot of people, uh, arguably, if, if if you're right, and the briefing was very ad hominem and they didn't care and it was cavalier then they did that because they knew the case against Rishi was really quite strong and I think people were surprised I was surprised about the green card but not just over a thing over yeah. a thing uh, you know uh, over a long time I mean for him to have had a green card which you know is, is a document saying I'm not committed to the country I propose to lead mm. I mean come on but he's your yeah. chancellor you're right well, no, he but, knew he was has been groomed to be prime minister or but, many but, but, people but, wanted him to be prime minister not least himself presumably
1: yeah but why would you do that against your own colleague moving from chancellor if he doesn't have but you know just a brief against is there any loyalty to colleagues anymore on on and on rees smog on
0: the lightweight comment i'm yeah. with you i i thought that was injudicious to put it to put it kindly and i'm a unionist like you uh, and i think we need to Spend a lot more time thinking about, particularly as Englishmen, how we make the union work. Oh, we will all be poorer for the, for the loss of the union, but we're not as Englishmen and women putting enough into the union. And I think we need to love Scotland more. We need to understand Scotland more. Uh, and I think that was ill judged by yeah. Rhys Mogg, but it's entirely possible that was, that was Rhys Mogg
1: having a, a, a verbal aberration, isn't it, rather wow. than some there, There's a pattern of, you know, okay. of, 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 of things here. And um, I could go through lots of examples if we had time and we wouldn't bore everyone. But... Uh, to the substance. Let's get to the substance then. If you,
0: if there's somebody, Tom down in Downing Street, yeah. okay. He's got a forty seat majority. You
1: really? Are you being paid by a Tom? <laughs> no, Tugendhat? no. I, you know, I, I, I just. You think believe these, in him? And I, that's do, fine. I do. Yeah. I do.
0: Yeah. I'm a believer, and I think that uh, there was a problem that he was a Remainer, but yeah. we're beyond that now, and oh, we must be beyond that. Yeah. We, you know, uh, uh, and so, so uh, we get to look at tax. We do what?
1: Um, well. The most interesting political thing in the world, I think, happening at the moment, you see it in lots of countries, is better off, left wi- better off people are voting more for left-wing parties and poorer um, people are voting more for right-wing parties. The most significant thing that Donald Trump did, uh, wasn't the Muslim ban or so, 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 It was to say, I'm not going to touch the benefits and entitlements of the average American person. And that allowed the Republican party to go into those democratic uh, territories and talk about cultural issues, et such, because they were no longer afraid of losing their, um, you know, their, their, their their entitlements. It's a huge thing that's going to carry on for a long time. How the Conservative Party, how others take advantage of that, serve the people who are now their voters, should be the biggest topic of conversation in Conservative circles. But what did the Conservative Party just do? The one big tax change of this Parliament was a tax on working people, not asset class holders who are frankly under tax in Britain. That would have been an electorate moment where the Conservative Party said, "We, you know, we're going to do something different. But I'm afraid, you know, uh, when I... In, in, uh, I'm on the other side of the uh, Christian divide with you. It's, it's no divide. In my evangelical church, you know, there was this thing, the last thing that's ever converted is the wallet. You know, people, you know, <laughs> when, when you change how you spend your money, that's a sign you really believe in stuff. I don't see whether it's in the moving money from universities to technical education, whether it's moving the base of the tax system from income a little bit more to assets and housing. Whether it's uh, some of the um, you know housing uh, taking on a little bit of the NIMBYism, etc., I still don't see the Conservative Party really converted to where the, its future electorate uh, will be. And you know, it's taking time, and I can understand why there's caution. But um, on tax, what's, certainly it wouldn't done any harm. Yeah, and that tax change was a terrible. You know, the only government in Europe that's raising taxes during a cost of living is, the, is a conservative government. I don't I know. know. No, I know.
0: I know. It's it's unbelievable.
1: Um, uh, just on the Trump point, that's
0: that's we 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 we, we sort of neutralise the tax issue and then we focus on the culture war issues. Uh, I know there's a weariness in some quarters about uh, you know fighting, getting into the trenches of the culture wars. Yeah. Um, but I think back to my years interviewing you when I was at Sky News and... Uh, and, and I didn't hear your opinions quite so much there. No, less so. <laughs> Self-preservation, yeah. Tim. But, I mean, there was a feeling what people don't understand and people who, who were in that sort of media political mm-hmm. matrix sort of got it was this sort of this glacial move to the liberal left mm-hmm. that wasn't contested. And, actually, it's so much easier to go along with it, isn't it, than to oh, say, actually, yeah. stop, yeah. get a punch in the face, lose your job. And, but it's how you go about reversing that that glacial movement. It, 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 when there has been a slow march through the institutions, and it's not just, mm. you know, Sky or the BBC, it's universities and, and, and civil service, and NGOs and blah blah, 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 blah. How do you do it? How do you reverse the slow march through the institutions?
1: Well, one thing is you set up a news channel like GB News. Amen. You really do. I so believe in this channel's success and I I think the stuff that you've been doing particularly the willingness to experiment if a format doesn't work to change it um I think it really matters that you exist to challenge that lazy thinking uh in um in broadcast etc and, and I I Fox News is very irritating and it annoys me a lot at times. I think on Russia, some of the Tucker Carlson stuff is hard to defend, and I'm embarrassed by it. Mm. Um, but actually, when there are a whole range of issues on race, um, abortion, um, defe- so that uh, the mainstream media really won't touch, won't talk about, censors, Foxes are just a breath of fresh air, and we haven't really had that. And it matters that GB News succeeds. I think it's one of the most important developments for anyone of of a conservative disposition for a long, a long time. And, um, I I really, really do hope that you Mm. succeed, Mm. but it can only be the beginning. We have to then, news in a way is the downstream, least important part of how a society's values are are generated. the stuff that matters in churches in universities in literature etc and uh how do we how do we invest in the ideas that uh, uh you know news is frankly downstream uh from and um that's much harder, and you know the weakness of the church is is a huge problem and um
0: what would you i mean as a you know i mean uh, as an evangelical uh, you, you'll be a, a spectator mm. i suppose looking at the travails of the of the established church but you know somebody i'm a keen spectator you're a keen spectator mm. what would you i mean we, we're not muslims we, we, you know as christians we tend to be characterized by a, a clerical hierarchy don't we and and I might not like watch uh, what I mean. I'm a Catholic, so it doesn't. I don't have a vote, but I can see why Anglicans are bothered by Archbishop Welby striking the pose he does on a range of issues, Mm. whether it's having a pop about Rwanda or whatever else it is. Mm. But that's the gig, kids. You Mm. know, he owns. He's got the keys. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and while he's got the keys, you, 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 you can you can
1: shout from the sidelines, but you can't do anything about it. The thing that. Unites, funnily enough, the conservative and the labour parties, the modern right and left, is actually materialism and individualism. In their own different ways, they both largely view all of us as, you know, uh, taxpayers, uh, workers, uh, receive receivers of government uh, benefits of various kinds, etc. Um, you know, school children, NHS patients, entrepreneurs. Um, they don't see us as neighbours, as uh, fathers, as as kids, as um, churchgoers, or, or you know the things that matter most in my life. I've had a trying two or three years. That you know, you know a little bit about Colin, but one good thing that's happened to me through lockdown is Salisbury. My life in Salisbury has moved from being dormitory to real. I really know my neighbours now. We help each other out in various ways. And it's it's beautiful in so many different ways. And ideally, you know, David Cameron's big society idea would be yeah. coming alive now. We, we we created new relationships in that extraordinary COVID pandemic period that actually we should think, how do we really build on these things? You know, children, parents having more time to read their uh, children, you know, people have delivered groceries to old age How do we build on that so we don't go back to how, how we were? And the thing that really annoys me about the church is the one institution that really has in almost every chapter of the Bible is that we are relational beings. That's how the Bible sees us. And yet, whenever Wellbe or a Church of England bishop gets up, they actually parrot the material, isolated individualist thinking that we have already over politics and... It's the church's failure actually to stand by what is so obvious in in its teaching that um, <laughs> you know, oh, well, is, is missing, and um, I mean, we I'm, need that love of the ties that bind. And there's not a tra- conservatism, of course, tradition did it when labour was more about uh, Methodism than mm-hmm. Marxism. It did it, but there's a, no one does it now, and um, it's a huge gap. The ties that bind are sometimes um, invisible
0: and o- almost supernatural. I'm going to disappear at my own fundament <laughs> <laughs> shortly. But you know, I, I was sitting at mass this morning, and um, you know, I'm not a great Catholic, but I, <laughs> but I, uh, but I, but I love the idea that all men are my brothers, and I love yeah, yeah. the idea that when uh, the priest, uh, in you know. Introduced us as, as his brothers and sisters mm. and that sense of community. I had, um, Rakiba Bassan on the show last night talking about Eid. Um, and I, I admire, as I'm sure you do, the religious discipline of Britain's three and a half million Muslims. Not all of them. Some of them are backsliding because yeah. that's human, but some of them were uh, ob- observing these amazing disciplines of yeah. fasting and abstinence yeah. that we used to do, yeah. you know, whether it was Lent or Advent or whatever it was. Um, let me just talk a little bit about how that becomes practical. Um, uh, uh, my monomania, monomania is, is, and I come back to where we started, about the creation of life and um, six children.
1: Uh, I, I'd love to see. You, live, you say you're a bad cat there. I think that's pretty, <laughs> that's
0: pretty <laughs> good. But I'd love to see. I would love to see. I would really love to see. And I'm not. I going to really use the phrase harder line, and, it, and that's you know loaded, isn't it? But I would like to see a, a, a stronger position taken on pronatalism by the church Mm. i i I would like to see and i know there's a reluctance to do this but i would like to see priests and ministers saying come on the biggest act of love you can give your fellow human being is is to create life and to foster life and uh, you know we're living in a world now where pet sales are going through the roof uh where alternatives to uh, children are all around us. Mm. Um, and it's creating a very atomized world, not now, yeah. but in 30 to 50 years' time. We're going to be looking at a very, very atomized world. The dominant family unit in the UK, in common with other parts of the world, is increasingly the only child. What mm-hmm. does that tell us about the relational stuff you're mm-hmm. talking about? The key relationship for so many people was for me, maybe it was you, Tim, was siblings. Mm-hmm. And lots of our young people are never going to have them. And that's, I know there are reasons for it, economic yeah. principally, but it's, I want to rail against it. Yeah.
1: Well, I think you have more authority to talk on this subject than I do. I haven't got any kids. Um, so, but I do know that I won the lottery in life with my parents. You know, um, and people talk always about uh, the, uh, you know, the material advantages that people have. But you take a, a, a university friend of mine, Sajid Javid, you know, who absolutely was poor by any material standards. You know, he was a, so Paul's district. That was a bus driver. Exactly, mm. yeah. And so, you know, the conventional thing is, you know, he's done really well despite all that. But what he had was two parents, Muslim, you know, back to what he was just saying, who would do anything, anything for him. And, you know, they f- frog marched them to the public library and... But it is a huge thing to have two parents who who, who care for you. And of course, you know, um, you're a single parent through, you know, sad circumstances and I take my my hat off to you, but I think you'd be the first person to acknowledge. And in my experience with most single parents, you know, say, you would not choose it. You know, bring up kids is hard and you know, sometimes a mum doesn't get on very well with their children. then you go through seasons. And actually having two people to help in that job really matters. And just the, la- and the grandparents. I mean, Wright used to mock when Hillary Clinton said it takes a village to raise a child. I never... It was well. the smartest thing she ever said. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> it wasn't original, but... <laughs> and, yeah, in our housing policy, in our childcare policy, we are completely blind to whether a family is near their grandparents or whatever my parents have you know my sister has delivered a grand uh uh child for them and i've not known my parents happier yeah. than um, he benefits enormously from what they do for him um it's not measured it won't appear in any national accounts but the love of parents for their children is the most important thing in any society you can't replace it and we just don't nurture it in any way. We, we have the most anti-family tax system. Back to your question about town. Ta- we have the most anti-family tax system in Europe. There's many things about Hungary that I don't like in, in Auburn. But actually, they're producing a tax system that really is rewarding uh, the family. And that's good because any index of whether a community is healthy has to have a certain level of uh, you know, stable families at its heart who can look mm. after those mm. people, not benefit, who well, don't benefit from those things. Can and we just, can we just talk a bit about a bit about Hungary? I begin. I feel like I'm too, far too negative in this. No, you're uh, not.
0: No, no, no. no, you're not. No, you've been a conservative. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's what we're meant yeah. to be, isn't it? I mean, Roger Scruton said we hesitate, and uh, and there are uses to pessimism. Peter Hitchin sat where you are a few weeks ago and said I'm a pessimist. Well, at least I've been
1: never as pessimistic as Peter <laughs> <laughs> Hitchin. I think that's
0: impossible, actually. But just uh, just on the Hungarians. Um, mm. I, I'm exactly in your position. I mean, I you know I hesitate at certain um, at, at certain points, uh, judiciary and press freedoms and stuff. Yeah. But and um, Russia, and and, yeah. and particularly in Russia. Yeah. And I was doing a couple of things, and the Russia thing, I just absolutely stepped back. And um, but but I I'll say to people, you know, which country as a mother do you not pay any tax because you've got four kids? Hungary. Where do you get free free IVF? Hungary, which country has decided that it's going to grow? their? It's got, they've decided we're going to grow our own yeah. because we don't want to make some of the compromises that we feel we'd have to make otherwise. You can talk about that being blood and soil nationalism, nationalism as long as you like. It doesn't alter the fact they have taken a series of quite revolutionary steps when it comes to pronatalism, it seems to me. Yeah. And we could learn a lot from them. And yet, as you say, we have a country where... Um, uh, with the solitary exception of the two hundred pounds for saying you're married as a tax break, it's you know compared to living in well, I used to live in Belgium. My late wife would get my tax breaks, and it was the state saying, "Well done, you're bringing up the kids." Um, but I just don't know where that pressure comes from to change that, Tim. Where, where does
1: it come from in the UK? What's the greatest crime a British politician can commit at the moment? Is probably to say something perceived as racist. Mm. And, you know, race is a real, you know, if you hate someone because of the colour of their skin or you, just, it's, you know, beyond unacceptable. But we've elevated certain moral litmus tests above all of others. So a politician can be ruined for an off-colour remark, but there is absolutely zero interest or, you know, is frowned upon as to whether, you know, you know, a politician is interested or visits their old people, you know, their their elderly relatives. That there is well, even any public consciousness about our responsibilities as family members and and citizens. And somehow Hungary, I will continue to half defend because it's getting things right that we aren't even thinking about. And there are very, very few examples in the world of a country willing to stand out against the tide and Orbin has got more things wrong recently than right but on the family he's got it um, really right and um, I just wish we'd be a little bit less black and white about countries and understand the nuances and I think Merkel was apparently the great heroine of Remainers and Europeans for a very long time held what a up legacy. As example. What a legacy! Now, you know, I, I don't say she was a Russian spy, but she might as well have been. You know, she, while everyone like Remainers were attacking Hungary for doing Moscow's bidding, the country that was funding Putin's war machine was Germany. Absolutely, wow. Germany. Um, I don't. Germany failed massively. And it was never discussed. And back to GB News, and I'm not being paid to play <laughs> GB News, but um, having people who think differently than the mainstream matters because hopefully we'll start voicing a little bit of more of the topics that aren't totally voiced
0: agree. at yeah. the moment. And I've done a lot on demography, and uh, we have demographers. I know, we yeah. Talk, you
1: know. Yeah. Can I? Can
0: I? A final, a final thought because I think we're.
1: We'll I want to say one sort of... positive thing about yeah. the government though before we <laughs> end, if we may, just because, because just on Ukraine and that. The government's got lots of things wrong, but actually in arming Ukraine really before any other nation, Ben Wallace is one of my heroes, the defense enter. He? he read Putin's speeches and and said to Boris, we've got to take this man seriously, he's gonna do this. And we we've got lots wrong. This government and I've been very critical of this government, but I'm incredibly proud of this proud And of yes, it. we've messed up yeah. the asylum, the um re- refugee thing, but actually keeping uh, Putin out of Kiev, and a, you can, we can fix the asylum thing. thing. Yeah, exactly. You, know, you yeah.
0: can't re- recovering lost territory yeah. is really tough. Um, uh, I agree. Pr- yeah. Pride is the right word. Yeah. Um, uh, I just want to pick up one thing finally uh, about. Uh, maybe I misunderstood what you said, but this, you seem to be indicating that uh, a politician who's not, you know, being kind to his grandparents is failing some sort of moral test, and that matters. Yeah. So, uh, are you saying that? Uh, I sound like Kathy Newman. It's what you're <laughs> saying that. Um, uh, are, are you saying that actually a, a politician's moral, personal morality matters? Because I think if you take someone like Matt Hancock, it, it mattered that he yeah. was, he cheated on his wife, that he, that he uh, forswore his, his, his vows to be faithful, uh, because actually if he lies mm. to his wife, he may be more likely to lie to you, the voter, right?
1: Yeah. Right? Well, look, we are, we are complicated people, aren't we? You know, we are... We're all we all make mistakes. We all got things we're ashamed of. We have better moments in our lives which we're proud of. Um, So I don't say what I think was the bad position we're in some decades ago, probably now, whereby if you you know cheat on your wife, you've got to resign. People are more complicated than that. But I think we're equally (laughs) wrong to get to the position we're now in where it sort of it doesn't matter. It's wrong to. He didn't even... resign
0: because he cheated on his wife, by the way. He resigned <laughs> because he broke Covid rules.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, no, but I'm talking more in the past, you know, the Tim Yeo era and stuff like that. You know, it was a resigning issue, at least in the Conservative Party, you cheated on You know, it almost was for Robin Cook. But now it's regarded almost as judgmental for us to think about these issues. But I don't think you write someone off because there, but for the grace of God, go a lot of us. But the sort of position where we sort of got to where it doesn't even matter at all. A racist remark, end of your, but actually abandoning your kids and going off with someone else to live. We don't don't want to talk about that at all. There's there's a moral imbalance there that isn't mature, actually. Coupled with this tremendous
0: puritanism, it seems to me at the moment. I mean, I'm not going to defend the old parish. It's indefensible looking at porn on his smartphone. But you know, part of being well in Parliament, (laughs) yeah, yeah, Yeah. but yeah, exactly. But there is this, this, there's, there's a, there's a, a, redemption's not a word in politics. Uh, Forgiveness certainly not. Um, uh, We live in incredibly unforgiving times, it seems to me.
1: And probably no, Boris hasn't done it and probably won't do it. But in a way, some of the best people to talk about marriage and supporting the family are people who've seen the consequences through their own action or, or others of when families don't work. Yeah. you know, I, Nearly everyone who I have had personal you know, contact with who's divorced or whatever, know it, at the very least the transition period from one thing to another is hard work. The, the, the empirical evidence is overwhelming that children are largely damaged by it. And they can say, I didn't get it right. But I want to help other people succeed where I fail. That that's a perfectly consistent thing, but we can't, we don't seem to be able to, to say it. And rich people still largely get married and form stable families. They know, actually it, it matters quite a bit, but then somehow in what they want for their own private lives, you know, they just haven't, don't carry it on into public policy. I think that's a you know, practicing not you know, preaching we, we, we should there should be a consistency there.
0: Him. I want to carry on, but I've got a show to put out. <laughs> to Montgomery, thanks so much for your time. What a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Colin.